to the Chapter 49 podcast. This is January 21st, 2022, and I appreciate you joining us. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer and a communications volunteer for Chapter 49, also a retiree. And we welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. We try to keep this weekly, and we welcome our chapter president, Duncan Giles. It's good to be here with you as well. And I also want to welcome uh, Dan Casper. Dan Casper is the Director of Field Operations and Organizing for NTEU at the national level. So, Dan Casper, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Excited to be here, Larry and Duncan. Appreciate it. So let's get started. I, I, I'm going to uh, turn this over to Duncan in a moment, but uh, it seems that I've, I've kind of joked about this before we started, we tend to have breaking news every time Duncan and I do a podcast with or without a guest. And and there is something that's just happened. We've been talking about vaccine mandates for months. There's been a court decision in Texas that seems to have muddied the legal works a bit. Uh, I would like you to just comment on that. And again, we're speaking at 3 p.m., 3.15 p.m. Eastern time on January 21st. Things could change after we talk here, but uh, tell us what you know now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'll say in the last three and a half hours, uh, there's been some uh, fast-moving pieces here. Uh, so a, a district court in, in Texas uh, has uh, preliminarily uh, enjoined or, or stayed uh, the vaccine mandate for federal employees that President Biden issued. And, uh, you know, essentially what, what happened uh, from what we've been able to tell so far uh, is this judge um, hasn't necessarily ruled on um, what his opinion was of the overall legality of uh, the president issuing this. What he's saying is that uh, at least put a pause on it for right now. Um, there's going to be some some further you know, litigation, further discussion on the issue. And really what changed uh, things in this judge's mind is the recent Supreme Court decision that struck down the OSHA rule. And uh, just for some background real quick, there was an OSHA rule that was called an emergency temporary standard or an ETS. And what that did was OSHA relies on its statutory authority, sometimes when it determines there's an emergency, to quickly issue a rule. And it issued a rule that said for all private employers with uh, 100 or more employees that uh, they have to institute a system where they would collect the vaccination information and documentation of their employees. And they would uh, have to either come up with a policy that resulted in a vaccine mandate or they could have a weekly testing policy for those employees as well. So that made its way up to the Supreme Court before the rule would fully go into effect. Again, this is for the private sector. And the Supreme Court here just recently, within the last week to 10 days, said OSHA does not have the authority under this emergency temporary standard, under its statutory authority, to uh, put this mandate, vaccine mandate in place for private employers. And so the judge, from what we've seen in you know, the brief review we've been able to do on this district court case in Texas, the judge basically said, well, now things have changed a bit. Uh, we're, we're, not, you know, we're not so sure about that, you know, based on uh, a lot of other court cases that have taken place in the District of Columbia, for instance, and in other federal district courts. 
the, the judge in the opinion speaks to other court decisions finding something differently. But at least to put a, you know, a fine point on it right now, this judge has said we're going to put a pause on the mandate. That pause is going to be nationwide. And the judge believes that what the Supreme Court said in that OSHA decision gives the judge authority to now pause this mandate. Uh, turn this over to Duncan Giles for the next question. Duncan. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm the one who's not an attorney and I always feel free to interject my opinion legal as invalid as it may be. I thought it was a very broad decision based on, you know, the OSHA ruling is what the Supreme Court was going after. And we're not under that. Um, I would imagine that the Biden administration, Dan, is going to go ahead and appeal this ruling because, as you said, other district courts have summarily thrown this out, basically saying that the administration does have this authority. Yes. And, you know, I mean, of course, there's also, uh, you know, almost a century of precedent in in courts uh, at the Federal Labor Relations Authority through EEOC uh, that, that touches upon, you know, employers' authority. And that's what the president, you know, was acting under in issuing this executive order was uh, his authority as essentially the chief of the executive branch over Title V employees. That's one thing that makes it different from the OSHA rule, where OSHA was, you know, regulating it differently. Even, you know, the Supreme Court in the oral arguments and in the decision in the OSHA ruling, um, you know, gave a nod to and talked about employers' authority to issue mandates there as well. Uh, Duncan, to your point about an appeal, in fact, just before I jumped on here, uh, we saw in the docket sheet from the federal government that it has already filed an appeal. So <laughs> the, the decision came out publicly from the District Court of Texas, you know, in joining the mandate around 12, the government appealed within about three hours there. One other thing that I just want to mention um, to you, especially since this is, you know, chapter you know, 49 and, you know, for, for IRS employees, one of the first things that we're going to be doing, uh, you know, in addition to analyzing the decision, getting some information out to folks, is we want to make sure, you know, from the agencies, what does this mean? Uh, as you know, at the IRS, there are uh, proposed suspension letters that have gone out for uh, two classes of employees that I'm familiar with. One is employees who uh, did not, um, you know, request a reasonable accommodation for either medical or religious purposes and just, you know, haven't been fully vaccinated. And then the second one is uh, recently those who had gotten a first shot, but not their, their second shot to become fully vaccinated. They've received proposed letters as well. The IRS told us shortly after the decision that uh, the enforcement process is paused. So the enforcement process is going to be paused for those who have received uh, proposed suspension letters. That's all we know at this point in time, but they have said that it's paused. And that's a good thing because we do need to let the dust settle on this to see what the, uh, you know, what the appeal is going to do and things of that nature before they move forward on anything. So I do commend the IRS for at least taking that pause step. Yeah, I think uh, Dan, this this uh, to me has, has as somebody who is uh, somebody who's retired and um, looking at this from afar as a retiree. I think there are two issues that are going to have to come back if if there is an appeal and if this this judge's ruling is stayed itself. That's a stay in another state to that stay. I mean, if we the, the lawyers love to talk about these things, I know, but. Uh, 
there are two issues that are that Duncan and I have talked about a lot. One has to do with leave issues, de- dealing with the vaccination mandate, when you can take leave on the government's time, when you have to take your own leave, and how this discipline is going to work its way through. Um, as you are looking at this this whole issue, uh, how do you um, how do you assess where IRS the employees and NTU all stand in those two very basic parts of, of the vaccination mandate. Yeah. So, you know, with, with regard to leave, uh, there are, there are a ton of issues that, that come up um, just, I mean, from the pandemic itself, as, as I know, you know, Duncan, you've dealt with, you know, at, at chapter 49, all of our chapter presidents have dealt with trying to uh, assist folks. Um, there's been, you know, emergency paid leave, which, you know, that's exhausted. There's the caregivers leave, you know, issues that we've had at the IRS. Um, but, you know, so there, there's that aspect of it. I'm happy to talk more about that if we want to, you know, delve into that. But, you know, Larry, you'd mentioned with leave issues for the vaccine, you know, mandate it's, itself. And one thing I want to draw everyone's attention to is uh, administrative leave. And administrative leave right now, if you look at the task force uh, FAQs, uh, that's the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force. That's the only time I'll say all five names and I'll just call it task force from now. <laughs> so so the, the task force's FAQs say uh, for failure to be um, vaccinated, you know, that aspect of it, while you're awaiting the disciplinary process there, you are not on administrative time. Now, of course, this deals more with uh, employees who are who don't have portable duties, who otherwise are coming into you know work or may at some point in time in the future, um, whenever there's reentry you know begins, we can talk about that later as well. They'll be coming in. They don't have portable duties, so they have to be masked, socially distanced, and another thing we'll talk about here, I think, soon is screening testing. They'll be subjected to those parts, not put on administrative leave. Now, for the testing guidance, for this screening testing that's going to be coming up here before too long, that is a similar thing where if you refuse to get tested and there's disciplinary action, you're not on administrative leave necessarily pending that disciplinary action. Again, it's if you don't have portable duties, if you have to come into the office there, masking, social distancing, and the screening testing aspect. However, uh, the task force FAQs have this extra thing in there that says agencies may bar employees from the workplace for safety reasons pending that disciplinary action. And if they do that, they must give administrative leave. Yep. So, uh, you know, that's something remains to be seen there on how agencies will will handle that. Uh, will the IRS, you know, or other agencies, for instance, if someone refuses to uh, go along with and and meet the requirements of the screening testing, will the agency not only uh, propose discipline as a result, but will they also bar them? So that's that's another thing to come up here. Hey, Duncan, I'll let you uh, jump back in. Yeah, we don't have enough fun going on with all this stuff. And then you get to the, 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 the big mystery of all this is where, where and when and what is going to be this RA review panel, the reasonable accommodation review panel that once our folks at EDI make the determination and mostly on the religious accommodations, the medical is pretty cut and dried usually 
it, it can go to our, uh, you know, the contractors that uh, are at FOH, I would assume that the IRS is using. But the religious accommodation, I think, is going to be the very tricky one. And we still have not heard, I have not heard anything firm yet on the reasonable accommodation part of that, when it might be coming, how it might be coming, that sort of thing. Any insight you might have on that, Dan? So let me preface this with because of the Texas district court decision, you know, too, how much of, uh, you know, the pause. I mean, right now, the only word that we have from IRS is just a very curt, the enforcement process will be paused. Um, assume for a moment that that had not happened today. And let's, let's you know, just, just talk about how the, the sort of the normal process would have been. So the IRS first gathered all of these reasonable accommodation requests, both for you know medical disability and for religious. What they were doing at that point in time is they called it this interactive process. You know, as you guys yep. both know, you've got to have an, an interactive process um, if you're not going to just outright grant a reasonable accommodation under any ordinary circumstance. There's an interactive process where you go back and forth and you, you know, you discuss. Um, the the impact of the requested reasonable accommodation in, in several different ways. There's a lot of reasonable accommodations for this one. Uh, in fact, the most updated number that I have from January 17th is there have been 5,618 reasonable accommodations requested by IRS employee, reasonable accommodations from the mandate itself. So you can imagine, uh, you know, the interactive process such as it is, is a, a difficult undertaking with that many. Yeah. Uh, what, what they're doing is in the interactive process, if, they, if the IRS feels they're missing information that they need, they've been reaching out to employees to get that additional information during this time. From our understanding, from what they told us, they are still doing that. They're getting closer to the next phase. The next phase is they're going to have a committee, a board, whatever you want to call it, who essentially begins uh, the work of reviewing these RA requests after what the IRS, you know, terms its interactive process. And they're going to start, you know, looking at these requests and decisions will be issued. We have been asking them again and again, exactly what the process of that's going to look like. And, you know, they're, it's, it's, I, I don't think that they fully understand yet exactly what that process is going to look like. I think they have a framework and, you know, we haven't gotten specifics because they may not know the specifics itself. But, I'm, I'm really glad at this late in the game that they don't have specifics. Right. And I, and I, and I share, and I share what you're saying because that's what I've heard as well, that they, they don't really have an idea of how they're going to do it. And to be honest with you, that scares the hell out of me. Well, and I said, uh, Dan, I'll say this, um, to me, how do you logistically make 5,000 plus determinations through one board? Yeah, well, very true. And, and, you know, when I say, and I, I don't want to speak too broadly because again, I'm sure that IRS, you know, has some idea of how it wants to try to do this. I'm sure that in a, a streamlined fashion, is is one way. Of course, they know that they've got to follow certain things under the law here too. I mean, those those things don't always work well together. To your point, Larry, about the number of of decisions that have to be made. But you know, uh, let me say this on on medical and disability related you know reasons. 
uh, as you know, we've, we've tried to put out a lot of information as much as we possibly can about this to try to bring some clarity to it. There are certain things that the CDC specifically says and that are parroted, you know, in the FAQs by the task force of um, reasons that you would be entitled to either a, a delay or, you know, an exemption um, for medical and disability related reasons. There are others aside from that potentially, you know, too, and we've tried to put out information about what those might be and what you may want to supply from, you know, a medical provider for there. Those are probably a little bit more difficult, you know, to do. The religious ones, the big question has been, is there going to be a very, you know, sort of strict reading of the sincerely held religious beliefs aspect of it? Or is it going to be more of a, you know, we're not going to look too far under the hood there because for whatever reason, we simply can't, um, whatever reason that may be. So we, we just don't know yet, but I'll tell you right now, we're running about 80% to 20% with 80% being religious accommodations at most agencies. So if in the process of reviewing those, a lot of the religious ones end up being granted, uh, that number, that 5,618 number shrinks down quite a bit. So, you know, that's as much as we know now. And and one other aspect of this, Dan, and, and we spoke with Malori McCann at the Chapter 10 president a few weeks ago. Her big concern was uh, that there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on the service to begin to bring people back at the service centers. Now, we in Chapter 49 do not represent service center employees, but we certainly are uh, concerned about them, and we interact with them, uh, you know, in our, our our daily work in most all uh, parts of the service. So uh, we just had some some uh, general media stories about the six million return or, or case backlog that there is right now at these service centers, and we're now beginning another tax filing season. Uh, what are you hearing in terms of pressures that the agency may be under? Uh, to uh, bring people back and put them in closer uh, proximity at some of these processing centers. Right. I mean, and let me start with the premise later. I mean, as, as you both know, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of IRS employees and, and other, you know, federal employees who we represent who they've been in the workplace for a substantial portion of this pandemic. And, uh, you know, it's, they've, they've just done this work bravely. They've, They've been in some, you know, unsafe, you know, conditions. It's just been, it's been amazing. And as this pandemic has just dragged on, it's, it's been inspiring the type of work that they've done there. Um, fearful of, you know, I mean, vaccinated, you know, or, or not fearful, you know, they have young kids at home, whatever that may be. Uh, you know, the, the pressures, there are external pressures on the IRS, certainly, as well as other agencies from those in Congress from stakeholders, um, many of whom misunderstand what that means that certain IRS employees aren't in the building, you know, full-time, you know, too. I mean, you talked about those who are in there right now. There are a lot who aren't in there right now, which that's helping to keep safe everybody, you know, too, because you don't have too many in there. And those employees who are working from home right now as well are working their tails off and doing an incredible job also. Yep. You know, too. just because they're working from home doesn't mean they're not working, you know, any less you know, hard than they have been before. So the the IRS is unquestionably facing pressure uh, from you know, certain areas to bring folks back sooner rather than later. I think, you know, there was a message that went out today from the IRS 
that, you know, essentially said they don't really, they don't currently have plans to bring anyone back. Uh, it, when I say anyone, to start the reentry process and bring a bunch of additional people back before the end of February. Um, and that was, that is somewhat consistent with what we're seeing right now across the federal government with other agencies. There are a few who have brought some back earlier. There are others who are saying it's going to be into March. But I'll tell you, you know, we, we started this, we started this conversation the three of us are having by things change and it may change by the time we all, you know, end up uh, wrapping the show up right now. Yeah. That has changed more than anything else, you know, too. Remember, people were going to go back in September of last year. Keeps getting pushed off and pushed off because the the, the pandemic conditions change. I mean, and to you, we're going to be, you know, health and safety, that's the biggest concern. And we continue to tell agencies and the task force, uh, don't do this too quickly. Duncan, let me turn this back over to you. Yeah, one of the issues that I have, and and you know, and that's one of the things that you know I'm proud of NTU for a number of reasons, and and one of the big ones, especially in this pandemic, has been the fact that health and safety has been at the forefront. You know, in talking to one of my sources, a medical source, uh, this morning, you know, she told me that you know we're all talking about testing. Let's do testing. Well, the liquid that they use for the testing is in very short supply. And I think that's going to be a hindrance as well as we're saying, okay, if these people have to be tested a couple uh, once a week or a couple times a week, and they don't have the proper things to be able to test and they're going to be delayed, how is that going to impact these employees that are needing to be tested? Um, you know, cause it's a, you know, I heard from another source that it is a supply chain for all labs. So I, I, commend national NTU for continuing to push that. I know the chapter leaders are continuing to push that, but I, I have a lot of our employees too are saying, Hey, you know what? I'm fully vaccinated and I'm very concerned about going into a building, uh, even, you know, not that often with people who are not vaccinated. And I'm concerned that there won't be the social distancing. And I'm concerned that they won't be enforcing the uh, wearing of masks because I work in the federal building in Indianapolis and all too often I see people without masks who are federal employees. And so I'm, I, you know, it's, it's a balancing act we have to do. And I think it's, it's unfortunate sometimes that federal agencies just want to rush ahead instead of being cognizant of that. And, and I just, I, I, I want to make sure that all our employees are safe, both physically and it mentally that they're prepared to come back Man. whenever this does end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, I, I can't add much to that. It was very well said, but you know, I, I will say that one of the things that our, our chapter leaders have been, you know, so adept at is not only raising, you know, those issues with local management, but also raising those issues up to us at a national level so that we can, you know, timely, uh, you know, let IRS and the other agencies know, you know, look, you may have some rules, you know, in place there too, but you've got to be vigilant about enforcing, you know, those safety rules, your managers on the ground have got to do that. And, you know, letting them know what the concerns are of these employees, as you said, you know, vaccinated, um, you know, vaccinated employees, they still, they have younger children who can't get vaccinated yet. They have, you know, older relatives who, you know, still have uh, risks, you know, immunocompromised. So there's a lot of concern from, from people there. And, 
we've all got to continue to be vigilant and, and push that issue and make sure the agencies like the IRS are aware of that constantly. Duncan, uh, we still have uh, a few minutes left. Uh, some final questions for Dan. Yeah, yeah, we talked, we touched a little bit on the end of the evacuation order. I'm hearing, um, you know, depending upon how Omicron burns through, and God help us if there's another variant, but I think that they could be looking, and again, because of these outside pressures, at possibly a, um, uh, you know, at the end of March to be reopening these offices again, much like social security has just agreed to. What have you been hearing on that? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, as far as what the IRS is, is planning to do, uh, you know, they don't, they just don't know, you know, still, I mean, they, they put out that message and that's, that's consistent with what they've been telling us, you know, is that end of February, it's not going to be before then. They've committed, as as they must, uh, to give at least 30 days notice, but they've committed to try to give as much as, as possible beyond that. So, you know, looking at your calendar, uh, you know, you can figure if they're going to give at least 30 days, if it's going to be the end of February, they would have to let us know pretty soon about that and let, let everyone know. So unless we hear something pretty quickly, we know that even that end of February date's probably going to be a little bit longer. I, I don't want to speculate, you know, but um, yeah, that's I, my I will, job. Well, sure. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I will say end, end of March, you know, that's, that's been, that's been the, uh, you know, the, 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 the frame that we've seen, you know, to end of February to end of March. Uh, and that goes across many, you know, agencies. We just, we had a, a brief discussion with the, the task force, you know, recently, and we're always asking them, we want to make sure that, you know, we don't have agencies that are out of step in there too. And that's, that's the window that they gave us end of February to end of March. Dan, I know you've uh, recently taken a new job, although this uh, this area of NTU is not new to you. You've been involved in this uh, work for a long time. Uh, just tell us uh, your responsibilities and what uh, what uh, what your tasks and responsibilities have been since you've uh, undertaken this new task. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I uh, you both know you know Jim Bailey you know, very well, our formal former. former uh, National Executive Vice President and longtime Director of Field Operations. Um, you know, Jim uh, is entered a, a well-deserved retirement. Um, I know he's looking forward to, to doing some outdoor, you know, activities and things like that. So, you know, I, I'm I'm just fortunate to to have the uh, Director of Field Operations role of that. And in that role, um, I work with just you know a, a pretty large group of amazing. Um, national field representative assistant councils at our eight field offices and our uh, organizing department that does a fantastic job in, in terms of, um, you know, external organizing for additional units to, to add to our NTU family and, and strengthen our union and some internal organizing stuff as well. But, you know, the, the bread and butter, the, the field offices, I, I come from the Chicago field office before I became, you know, Jim's deputy director. Uh, we service, you know, Duncan's chapter and um, represent. And Lori, absolutely. Lori <laughs> McCann's, you know, chapter 10 out of Chicago as well. And, uh, you know, I, I oversee those those eight field offices. And I'll tell you, they have been working, you know, harder than ever during this pandemic as well. These are folks who, uh, you know, care about the federal employees they represent, uh, the chapter leaders that they work with. 
And, you know, they've been instrumental in um, just working on issues, raising issues up, pressing the agencies, make sure our folks are, are you know, healthy and, and as safe as possible during this pandemic. Um, you know, we've got a lot of things that we're, we're looking to, you know, to, to do to continue in the realm of, you know, just training and, and, and development and work with our chapters, you know, organizing, strengthening this union, all sorts of things as well. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm excited for, you know, for the future. So you didn't take this job to get away from Lori McCann. Is that true? <laughs> Not at all. It was, it was, it was, okay, well, that's the story I'm spreading, but uh, that's okay. It, it, it was it was the one thing that almost caused me to not accept the job, there, to having to leave my my good friend Lori. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're about out of time, uh, Mr. Casper. Would you like to add any any uh, comment uh, just briefly before we wrap this up? Sure. You know, I mean, let me just first say it's 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 been a pleasure, you know, uh, talking with with both of you guys. I listen to you, you know, quite a bit. You do some incredible work here, you know, by putting this podcast out and and keeping. Uh, as you know, a, a much further reach than just chapter 49, you know, informed in on, on a weekly basis. I, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing that I just want to say is, you know, Duncan, you'd mentioned not only the, the physical, but sort of the, the mental health. Um, that goes for our, our members, for all the folks who we represent, you know, for the staff at NTEU. This pandemic has been a just a, a difficult thing for so many people right now and it just it continues and continues and continues and uh you know the, the response that folks have done um you know just the resiliency that they have is is just it's incredible it's awe-inspiring it what gets it's what gets you up you know each day exciting to do this job i know you both you know feel similarly so it's part of being a union and part of this, you know, this just collective action that we have um, where, you know, we're together, we're in this together. We look out for each other's backs. That's what gets us through these sorts of hard times. It's what's going to get us through going into the future as well. Very well said. And I, I, I appreciate what you and Duncan have both said about people who are working in that workplace uh, in some of the very difficult conditions, whether they're at home and dealing with technology or they're in the office risking their health in some cases, but uh, still pitching in and, and doing that work. It's just amazing that we're getting, the, even though we're behind, I mean, people like to bring that up, but the work we have done has been tremendous. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you, know, you mentioned that. Duncan, any uh, brief comment before we go? Yeah, I just want to uh, echo what Dan said, that all the employees that we represent here in Indiana and that all the other chapter leaders represent across the country are doing an incredible job under difficult circumstances. And the mental health piece of this is so very important. I'm very passionate about this. I've got a daughter who's a mental health professional. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody, please, please, please contact the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program. There are folks there who can help you. They can get you. You can have a couple of sessions. It's there for a reason. You don't need to go through this alone. You don't need to feel all this stress on you. You can get some of it taken off. So please consider that if you need it and be safe. 
And you just heard Duncan Joss, chapter president for Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. Our guest this week, uh, Dan Casper, the new director of field operations and organizing for NTEU in Washington, D.C., dealing uh, with uh, all those issues at the national level. So uh, once again, we thank you for, we thank Dan for being our guest. We thank you for watching and listening. Again, you can find our podcast. If you want to see the video, go to YouTube and just search under Duncan Giles. You'll find more than one, but you'll find ours on there. And you'll see all the videos that we have done uh, since we began the video portion of this podcast. If you want to find the audio version of the podcast and share it with others, go to almost any uh, uh, way you find a podcast. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on and on. Just uh, search under podcast by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. And uh, you'll see all the podcasts I produce. You'll find the Chapter 49 podcast. So please be safe and be kind. Be kind.